Here's a comforting truth to cling to in troubling times from Pastor Ed Ray. Isn't it comforting to know that God would never lie to you? And when he says he would never leave you or forsake you, he means he will never leave you or forsake you. It may feel like your world is coming apart, but God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, it feels like he left me. It feels like I'm all alone out here. Did you give your life to him? Yeah. Did he say he'd never leave you? Then he's right there, but I can't see him. It's called faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love. Unlike man and the gods of the modern or ancient world, our God, the one true God, cannot lie. The significance of this fact cannot be overstated. This unique attribute of our God is worthy of much consideration and is our focus on today's Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. So glad you're with us as we continue to go through the book of Titus. Chapter 1 makes a passing comment that God cannot lie. But because of the many implications, it's a truth we must not quickly pass by. To explain from Titus chapter 1, here's Pastor Ed. God cannot lie. The Greek word, a sutius, a, the letter A in front of it means without, sutius, deceit. God is without deceit. Because God himself is truth, the source of truth, whatever he says will happen. What? Whatever God says happens. The prophet Samuel reminded disobedient King Saul this in 1 Samuel 15, 29. God, the glory of Israel, will not lie. Hebrews 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. Isn't it comforting to know that God would never lie to you? And when he says he would never leave you or forsake you, hello? He means he will never leave you or forsake you. It may feel like your world is coming apart right now. I'm always amazed when I hear people's stories that come to church and go, oh, I can't believe the things that are going on in my life. And they start down the list. I've just learned to expect that, that I'm talking to some people that are facing cancer, loss of a mate, spouse, a child, job, finances, health, relationships. It's just the realities of life. But God said, hello? But God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, it feels like he left me. It feels like I'm all alone out here. Did you give your life to him? Yes. Did he say he'd never leave you? Then he's right there. But I can't see him. It's called faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Well, I don't like this system. Tough. <laughs> He's God. He gets to make the rules. <laughs> what do I get out of it? Eternity. <laughs> Joy that goes on forever. Wow. All I have to do is trust God? Yes. Why should I trust him? Well, he's left us clues that what he says is true. 
some of you know my background as a scientist, science relies on the immutability of God and his laws. What? The reason that science works is empirical. It's called empirical science. This means you can do a test in South America that you do in New York City, that you do in Mexico, that you do in Spain, and you'll get the same result every time because God's laws don't change. The laws of mathematics and physics, chemistry, they don't change. He's immutable. And because of it, the West have drawn so far ahead of the East because they had a religion. Hello? We have a religion that's based upon the immutability of God, that God intends for us to understand him and look at the creation and be impressed because it points to him. That's Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory, the display of God. You look at science and it should move you closer to him. Johann Kepler died in 1630. The father of astronomy was the first to write it down. The laws of planetary motion, he said, he was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Now that struck with a guy named Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, and he wrote in his book of gravity, the theory of gravity, Principia, and he said, the most beautiful system of the sun, the planets, the comets, could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being, the Lord over all. So because they saw God acted in consistency and logic in accordance with certain laws, men and women down to the last 500 years have been able to get very advanced in science. China's still trying to catch up. India's trying to catch up, Nepal. The East, the Middle East, are still trying to catch up. Why? Because they had a religion that God was capricious. You couldn't trust him. He's going to change. Even the Greeks before Christianity came, before Paul went to Philippi and started preaching about the God who is immutable, they thought their gods were apathetic. They didn't have any pathos. They had no passion. They just do what they wanted. Today, I feel like sending lightning bolts down on Athens. God doesn't have Mondays. He doesn't have bad days. We have bad days. God has every day. It's the same. He's immutable. His purposes never change. So thus, science is logical. It's rational. It makes sense. The second thing about this whole concept of God being immutable is that his promises are dependable. What he says, he can be trusted for, and it will happen. In fact, it turns out that I go to heaven based upon God's truth. If God is lying, I go to hell. What? Because I deserve hell. But God says, I'll give you grace. You don't deserve that, Ed. I give it to those who ask. If God is lying, we're all in trouble. We got to go on our own good works. Woo, I grew up in that church. And about Thursday, I went, I'm not making this. There's no way I'm going to make it to heaven. I can't get past the next day. <laughs> without blowing it again. Then years later, somebody told me about grace. Grace, the gift of God that you don't deserve. That's our hope. Before time began, God decided to do this. But has in due time, verse 3, oh, we're up to verse 3, has in due time, in the fullness of time, at the right time, manifested, displayed, showed us his word, through preaching. Not a great translation of this word, Kierkegaard. 
It means to declare, to proclaim, to speak out to other people. It can be with one person. It can be with three. It can be at home. It can be at school. It can be at work. It can be over lunch through speaking. In Paul's case, it was committed to me according to his commandment, the commandment of God as Savior. Paul's talking about his commission. You have a commission too on your life. I remind you often, if you come to church here, going, he's going to that whole go into all the world thing again. Yes, but it's our privilege. And you say that to people, the truth of salvation, and the Holy Spirit takes it and puts it in their heart, and then it, it's a time bomb. It may not go off for months or even years in some cases. But you just keep sharing, folks, and you keep praying. You got kids that you're praying for? Got grandkids? Got grandparents you're praying for? Got parents that are far from God? Just give it out, a little bit of the word here and there, and then wait. God will accomplish it. Speak it out. That's the word preaching. And it was something God wants you to do, to herald the good news. Verse 4, to Titus. So that's the introduction. Now it's specific to a young man named Titus. True son in our common faith. Grace, there it is. Grace. Love that word. Think about that word. If you've never considered it, meditate on that word. Discuss it with your friends. Look it up. Read about it. Great books on grace. Chuck Smith wrote an amazing book about grace. Philip Yancey, another great book. We sing that song, Amazing Grace. What is that talking about? The undeserved merit, unmerited favor of God on your life. You see, God is out to make you successful at life. If you will surrender your life to him, he will make you successful at living. I don't mean money, but for some, it does mean money. But he will make your life significant. You want significance? Everybody wants significance in their life. If you want your life to matter, when it's all said and done, no matter what age you are, but you're on your deathbed, you want to know that your life mattered, that it impacted other people, that it has some lasting effect. That's what God's grace is for, your life and mine. And God uses you, yes, God uses you, but in a good sense, to get other people to heaven. When you stand in heaven with somebody that you spoke to about God, and it worked its way through a bunch of time and other people, and finally that person got saved, you think they'll be thankful in heaven? They'll be right next to you saying, oh, if I hadn't listened to you, etc., etc." Paul says to you, Titus, grace. See, Titus needed grace. Paul needed grace. I need grace, and you need grace. I pray for it every day. I pray for it several times a day for myself. Oh, it's a selfish prayer, but I want to give it away to others. When you get into a tight fix, when those red lights go on behind you, there's a cop right in front of me, I'm just making a joke. When difficult times come in your life, just pray that, God, I need grace. You're not saying, I deserve better than this, Lord. No, you didn't get 50 tickets you deserved. That's grace. But I need more grace right now, God. He gives grace to those who don't deserve it. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And peace is the result of God's grace coming into our lives. And we've seen this in Paul's letters over and over again. Grace comes before we have peace. You always have to have the grace of God in your life, and then you'll have peace of God. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. There it is, our Savior again. 
This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, who's taking us verse by verse through Titus chapter 1, highlighting grace and peace. To illustrate these important concepts, we rejoin Pastor Ed as he offers up a story about a man named Augustine from long ago. But his struggle is a modern one. Augustine was a really brilliant man, North African, 354. He was born, had a godly mother, but he ignored her. Live a dissipated life. He called it an unrestrained life of partying and drinking. But he had no peace and he was searching for answers, so he studied Plato, the philosopher. And it gave him a lot of things clever to say, he said, but didn't solve the emptiness in his heart. So then he studied the Persian philosopher Mani, Manichaeism, and he had the same problem. Gave him a lot of clever things to say, but it couldn't bring him any peace in his heart. And then he met Ambrose, who was the bishop of Milan, pastor there. And Ambrose was probably more brilliant than Augustine and answered his questions over a long period of time. And Augustine was greatly moved by it, but he still didn't trust God. He didn't believe that God didn't lie until he read Romans 13, 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a garment, put him on, and make no provision for the flesh. Let God cover you with his righteousness. You see, grace is a gift, and righteousness is a gift. Right standing before God. You have a right standing before God as a gift from God. You got a scripture for that, Pastor? Yes, Romans 5.17. Those who receive the grace of God and the gift of righteousness shall reign through the one, Christ Jesus. That you receive rightness before God when you don't deserve it, when I don't deserve it. He gives it away. You just have to receive it. This is my most favorite topic in the whole world, God's grace and gift of righteousness. I would recommend it to you. That's what Augustine discovered, and here's what he wrote. If only I had recognized the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord years earlier. If only I had discovered the reality of favor with God, not based upon what I did or trying to convince God, really, I'm trying, God, shouldn't I get points for that? No. You're adding to what God did. Just receive what God did. The new covenant, His grace in your life. But moving on, verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete, Titus, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. So he wants you to go and appoint pastors. Evidently, it was a free-for-all before that. And so he says, Timothy, I want you to go and set up pastors. Now, there's a long list of qualifications from 6, 7, 8, and 9. It's almost exactly the same list that he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you wonder about these things, want deeper understanding of the terms and what they mean, I would recommend you go on the internet, download 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's three messages there, and I take all this apart. I'm going to go through it, but real quickly this morning, just so you get the flavor of it, and let's jump in and finish it up, and then we'll come back to the subject of God lying. Verse 6, for if a man is blameless, not sinless, but blameless, he seeks forgiveness from God and fellow men and women. If he's blameless, the husband of one wife, a lot of discussion here, a lot of differing opinions, but what is very clear is no polygamy. 
He is having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. His kids under his roof are in control. Verse 7, that a bishop, same word as elder, same word as pastor, that must be blameless without, not sinless, but again, sinning less, must be blameless. A steward of God, works for God, a servant of God, not self-willed, not a person that always demands their own way, not quick-tempered, doesn't fly off the handle easily, not given to wine, uh, not a drunken brawler is uh, what it literally says, and not violent, not giving into the use of physical force quickly, not greedy for money, not making it the main priority of your life. Verse 8, hospitable, giving saints in persecution often are homeless, so the elders are to be an example of helping them. A lover of what is good, loving good men and women, sober-minded, careful thinking, logical, consistent, just, concerned about justice for everyone, fair treatment, holy, set aside, literally, it means, set aside for God's use, not holy in the sense of a quiver in your voice in King James English, okay? This word holy means to be set aside for God's use. It is not a moral statement. In other words, the utensils in the temple were holy, and they didn't have any moral choice. They were set aside for God's use. Set your life aside for God's use. That's all it means. And then self-controlled, having power over self, fruit of the Spirit. Verse 9, the result, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, these men, that they would teach what they'd been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, teaching, both to exhort and convict those who contradict, who contradict God's word, not him personally. Okay, that's the qualifications of a pastor. Okay, let's try and wrap our minds around what Paul meant when he added in hope of eternal life, promised before the world began. But he added that statement, God cannot lie. There's one thing that God cannot do. I like that. The statement means that he can be trusted. Actually, that's the whole story. If God cannot lie, we get to heaven. If God does lie, we don't get to heaven. My eternal salvation rests on the one thing, the bare fact that God cannot lie. Paul bases his trust on it. That's what he says here. He wasn't trusting in his amazing experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus appeared to him. He's trusting in what God's promises, the character of God, that God doesn't fib. Every doubt about God that you and I have is a slander of the character of God. Ooh, pastor, high inside fastball. Someone said to me this week, well, yes, I repented of my sins and I accepted Jesus, but I'm afraid I, I might not get to heaven. That's slander of God's character. If you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Do you believe that? Is God a liar? Now, I know I'm jamming some of you up. I can see it on your faces. Going, ooh, ooh. Is that what he's saying? It is. The answer back was, well, everyone has limitations. God has limitations too. Well, yes and no. Here it says that it's impossible for him to lie. So I guess you could say he's limited. He can't lie. But he has other things that he doesn't do. 
God does not know stuff. What? God does not know a sinner that he doesn't love. Aren't you glad? That's what John 3.16 said, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn, send to hell, but that through him we might have eternal life. One other thing that God doesn't know, this is going to really jam you up, God doesn't know a sin that he cannot forgive. Got a scripture for that? Yeah. 1 John 1.8. If we claim we have not sinned, we are a liar and the truth is not within us. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, make us righteous, any sin. Well, what about the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit? That's a person who refuses to confess their sin, a person who refuses to believe that God would gladly forgive that sin. He's waiting for a person to come and say, forgive me, Lord, I surrender, take my life. Charlie Brown, the great theologian, <laughs> said, sometimes I lie awake at night and I ask, where have I gone wrong? And then a voice says to me, this is going to take more than one night. <laughs> For all of us, okay? But you just say, God, forgive my sins. It's not a list that you give them. You confess. Active voice, personal, subjunctive tense. If you want to go look it up, you got to keep doing it every day. That's what it says. Okay, so the only survivor of a shipwreck landed on a small island. Of course, they always do, right? And he searches the island. There's no one there. He's all alone. First, he just gets down on his knees in the sand and says, God, please rescue me. He opens his eyes and looks around. Nothing's happened. And so he gets up and he wanders around. He finds some coconut, some guava, and he's got some food. And he brings it back to the spot where he landed, makes a little pile, and he sees some driftwood. So he makes a, a little hut out of driftwood. And he begins to set up housekeeping. But every day he prays, God, rescue me. You said you would never leave me or forsake me. You said, I believe it. Come, rescue me. You are my Savior. Every day, pray that. One day, he had to go further to find wood. So we went all the way to the end of the island. We got to the end of the island. He looked back, and there was smoke coming up. And he ran to his hut that was on fire. The little fire pit he'd built had gotten away and destroyed everything he had. He went down to his knees and said, Lord, you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. And he went to sleep that night in the sand. Next morning, he wakes up to a strange noise. He looks out. There's a ship. And then a lifeboat coming, and guys rowing it towards him. And he ran out into the surf to meet him. And, and he said to them, how did you know I was here? And they said, well, we saw your signal fire. When your hut is burning, it might be this week, it might be right now, know that God sometimes moves us when we won't move ourselves. And he rescues us. He said he would never leave you. Do you believe him? Is God a liar? Say with me, God does not lie. God does not lie. One more with cannot. God cannot lie. A comforting truth, Pastor Ed Ray underscored on today's Grow in Grace. You can be reassured of his promise that he's given to you, for God cannot lie. 
Well, we're just getting started in Titus, and there's much more to come. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org, or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your 